A few weeks ago, my brother-in-law got married. And there was this amazing venue. We drove to Dawsonville, Georgia, which is kind of north Georgia. Uh, the leaves were changing. It was like the perfect fall day. It had just rained, so there was like a crisp coolness in the air. There was this outdoor chapel, which was the main venue, and then this big, beautiful barn that was next to it that was where the reception <clears throat> and the dancing and all of those things happened. Uh, and it was very... Uh, it was very them. It was very relaxed. It was very fun. Uh, there were wandering chickens that were, it made me feel like I was at my house. Um, there was a, a donkey or two that were in a pasture kind of right next to where the, the wedding ceremony was happening. Uh, even, best of all, there were two alpacas that were, one of them had sort of like dreadlocky kind of things, uh, and the other one had a top hat. And you could, they had a handler, and they were, the handler was walking around with these two alpacas, and you could take a picture in between the two alpacas. Do they have names? Do you, does anybody, do you remember their names? Yeah. Um, but that wasn't my favorite part. Like, the, the dinner was great. The mac and cheese was on point. The ceremony was beautiful. The photo booth was great. Super great memories and all those things. But uh, my favorite part was this little snippet of a moment that I got to watch between he and her. And um, there was, it was middle of the dance floor, and all of a sudden, Taylor Swift, love story comes on. And you know how dances go. There's like, you know, the kind of people in the periphery, and then they hear a song that they're excited about, and they start to kind of move a little bit closer to the center of the dance floor and move a little bit closer and move a little bit closer. And you know, the da 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 You all know Taylor Swift. Like, so that's all happening, and the more and more people are starting to creep on the dance floor. Uh, Jake, Sarah's brother, is kind of uh, often to the side of the dance floor. He starts to move closer and closer and kind of creeps closer and closer to his bride. And then that big crescendo part of the song, and I'm holding McKendall, and I'm about to pick her up. And at that time, when it, get, it hits that big note, marry me, Juliet, right? The entire dance floor starts jumping. And I watch him and his new bride jumping, singing, looking dead into each other's eyes. Marry me, Juliet. You'll never have to be alone. I love you, and that's all I really know. And so on and so forth. But it felt like a movie. And that, that little snippet, if you've been to many weddings, as I imagine many of us have been, there, there are these beautiful little moments that can happen that are scratching an itch at something that we know to be true. We are made for a true and better wedding. Because all through scripture, one of the, the, the controlling themes that we find is this theme of the wedding feast. And what we're about to read is an image of heaven as just that, a wedding feast. Uh, <clears throat> we've been in the book of Revelation for a number of weeks now. We're nearing the end. We have two more weeks of this, and then we're going to read the book together as a community uh, to finish this thing out. And these last three weeks, we're focusing on heaven, on what is this place called heaven? Uh, what are we to expect about that, that place? And I mentioned last week that we can define heaven as at least these two different things. Heaven is a person, 
That is the person of God that we will live face to face, glorying and reveling and loving as he does the same over us forever. Secondly, there's the party. Because just having God would be enough. If, if the, orig- the origin and the origination of every good thing that we enjoy ultimately is from him, then it would be enough if we only got him. But this whole created thing, this big rock, third rock from the sun that we live on today, there is something unique about this place. God has crafted this place with his hands. And he does not mean for it to fade away into oblivion, but to be made beautiful and glorious and new. So heaven is both the person of God and the party as all of creation now rejoices as heaven and earth unite again. That's what we're about to read. This is Revelation 19 and 21, and Betsy Williams, I believe, is coming to read. Betsy, everybody. Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who invited, invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Betsy. You! So we can mean a lot of different things when we say heaven. And part of what we're trying to do in these last few weeks is to clarify and codify not what does our tradition say, uh, not what does our assumption say, but what does scripture say about what is this place and how can we live now based on what we believe that place to be. Because what you believe about the future, namely what you believe about heaven, is going to change how you live your today. If you believe, say, there is no heaven, then you will pull as much enjoyment out of this world as you can, or you will become so cynical that you will give up on everything because nothing really matters. Uh, 
If we believe that heaven is sort of an ethereal, celestial reality where floaty, disembodied spirits uh, live and circulate around the throne of God, then it's possible that we could become so heavenly-minded we could be no earthly good. But if we believe, as Betsy just read, that heaven is a renewed creation, with God at the very center of that creation, a wedding feast with God forever, then we will have at least these two things. Much more could be said. But we will at least have purpose to care for this created world that he has given us now. And we will also have patience to recognize the reality that this place is not what it will be. We can have purpose for the dignity and value and worth of the image of God in each one of us, and how we treat each other, and how we treat this created world that he has made, and we can have patience for all the ways uh, that it is not yet what it will be. So here's what we're going to do. With this kind of controlling theme of the wedding feast, we're going to spend our time today talking about these two questions. One, how is heaven like a wedding feast? So again, a bit of an obscure image. Uh, We've got some different cultural things happening in the Jewish context. So how is heaven... Uh, described in Revelation 19 and 21 like a wedding feast. And then secondly, it says that there is a way to be ready for this. It says that the bride has made herself ready, the bride being the people of God. So how do we make ourselves ready for it? So first, how is heaven like a wedding feast? Like I said, wedding imagery, you can trace various themes through the Old and New Testament Uh, And they begin to string together this beautiful story. And this is one of those that you can string from one side of the Bible to the other. Uh, Very early on in, say, the Song of Solomon, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, you find the entire thing is, yes, it's about a love relationship between a husband and wife, but it is also an imagery and a metaphor for our love relationship between God and his people. Psalm 45 is this royal wedding song that is foreshadowing our royal wedding uh, from our King Jesus to us. Hosea uses the imagery of a wayward wife and a husband who is pursuant of that wayward wife to describe what his love for his people is as they continue to go astray. And Isaiah 62 tells of this day when God's people, he says, you will be married. To me, and I will delight in you. I will rejoice over you. Way back in Isaiah 62, already pointing forward to this reality. Jesus comes on the scene. He, John 3, talks about himself as a groom, as a bridegroom. Uh, and then he goes on later and tells this famous parable in Matthew 25 of these 10 bridesmaids who are waiting for the groom to return as a way of describing what it is to wait for his return. Uh, Paul, probably most like exclusively and explicitly, if we were wondering anymore based on all of those previous things, what this relationship between God and us can be like, Paul says famously, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that the relationship between a husband and wife is the relationship, is a living, breathing metaphor for the relationship between Christ and the church. 
And now here we are again. Revelation 19. And here comes this wedding imagery in all of its full glory and all of its climactic magnitude. But maybe just to, to stop from the like lesson for a minute um, and just pause to consider, do you believe that God loves you like a husband loves a wife or like a wife loves a husband? And maybe your uh, experience of that from either what you've seen in your, uh, in your family or what you're experiencing even now between husband and wife or girlfriend or boyfriend uh, or lack thereof, that may discolor the way that you would think about some of the glorious nature in which God is describing that he loves his people. But this is a description of a love that lays itself down that delights and rejoices not because of what the other person has done, but just because there is delight and love from the person to another. The the love of Jesus is a self-giving love. And that's what we see in the imagery as it finds itself in 19 and 21. Because Jewish weddings were a little bit different, somewhat similar to what we experience, but with a couple of unique similarities or unique differences that I think will help in our understanding of what's being said here. There was, instead of engagement, there was this betrothal period. And betrothal is like engagement, but with a little bit more seriousness, a little bit more gravity, uh, really a little bit more uh, promise to each other. Because after an agreement was made, to be married, then a contract was signed, as it were. And you were, you were not fully living as if you were married, but you were contractually already married. Meaning, if you split it off during the betrothal period, it would still be considered a divorce. Or if there was a death of either fiancé during that period, then it would be considered a widow. Um, and so here's the uniqueness of what would happen there would be a period where the man would leave his, his future bride and would go usually to his father's house and take a room of that father's house to create it and cultivate it and make it this beautiful new place to bring his bride. And he would go away usually for somewhere in the span of 12 months. They would not be living together. And again, they weren't texting. They didn't have DMs on Instagram. They, they did not have much interaction during that time, yet they were still covenantally bound to one another. And then on the wedding day, at some point, sort of unknown, they knew the day that was set, but they didn't know when during the day the, the groom would come back for the bride. And the groom and all of his buds would come back to the bride's house and the bride would have been, been making herself ready. She would be totally dressed to the nines, makeup beautifully set and awaiting the time for the husband to return. Are you sensing some similarities based on some of the things that you may have heard Jesus say over the years? And as this groom comes and then takes his bride, he ushers his bride back to his house, whether that was a room in his father's house or a house all his own. And that's where the party was. And that's where the celebration began. And it could go on, this feast could go on anywhere from seven to 14 days. It was a big deal. Now enter in Jesus' words when he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. 
and I go to prepare a place for you. Does that ring with a new beauty and a new intention? This is not just like some hostel that God is going to make us some room with like a, you know, a squatty potty in the corner. This is like he is going to prepare as a groom who loves his bride, who loves his people. He is going to make a place, a beautiful place, a beautiful feast, a beautiful new heaven and a new earth is what he's up to right now. Revelation 21 says he is making all things new, not he's making all new things. Even now, there are glimmers of this new creation, even in the way that we right now are responding to him by faith. The reason we're sitting in this room right now, searching after God, will you meet us? That is a way in which he meets his people today and he pursues his bride. So it says, Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. New heaven, don't have time to go into the whole thing, but new heaven means at least these three things. Uh, Heaven, in the first sense, the Bible speaks of this in a couple different ways. In the first sense, this means that all the planets, all the stars, all the clouds, the ozone layer, All of that that is up there will be made new and completely as it should. Pollution will be gone. Uh, Any earthquakes, tornadoes, any of these things, tsunamis, all of those things will be quieted. Secondly, when the Bible speaks about heaven, it speaks about a spiritual realm, a realm where angels and demons, even as spoken to like in Job, where Satan goes to heaven and speaks to God on, uh, on Job's behalf and says, can I tempt this guy? Can I go after this guy? It is the place where all of spiritual reality is going on. And he is saying, and there is a new spiritual reality that everything sad, everything wrong, everything will be eradicated that is against God's people spiritually. And third, heaven is God's dwelling place. Heaven is the Lord's, the earth is his footstool. Heaven and earth have been separated because of the sins of man. And they will now again in the new creation be made one. New heavens. New earth. New earth, Genesis 1 and 2 describes uh, the beauty of this place called Eden. And even built in, in the timber and the plants and the minerals in the ground, there is already everything for the makings of a beautiful city. We are not headed back to a garden. We are heading to a beautiful city. That has been the intention and the focus and the move the whole time. That city will be full of art, technology, music, animals, and people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so the African drum circle, the Irish river dance, that's got to be in there. That thing is amazing. Have you ever seen that? Stomp. Have you ever seen st- that? Sounds fun. Um, UGA football will definitely be there. Michelangelo's David, Little Debbie's. Who doesn't love the Christmas trees that are about to come out? Glory, 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 hallelujah. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know what exactly that's going to look like, but I know it's going to be amazing. 
Swords are going to be turned into ice skates. Hospital beds are going to be turned into hot rods. Just get that mental picture in your brain for a minute. Nuclear subs will turn into little hot spots where you can get a pub sub. There is this image in Isaiah of the ships of Tarshish, these warships are being converted into haulers to bring all of the glories of every culture into this new city, this new Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what that's going to be like, but the beauty and the true and the good things of this world in some ways may have some sort of staying power into the new creation. There will be no homeless, no child hunger, no domestic abuse, no racism, sexism, classism, any ism. And Jesus will be there, the lover of our souls who we have longed for always. And we will feast and we will party and we will work and we will play and we will rest forever. That's what 19 and 21 are talking about, at least best as I can tell. Now, how do I get ready for it? Um, Remember who is receiving this vision. This guy, John, who we haven't mentioned in a couple of weeks, John, remember, uh, this is the disciple, John, the apostle, John, the one who is right now imprisoned, exiled on this island, Patmos, which is a prison island that the Romans would use to ship people away when they wouldn't bow the knee to Caesar or for a handful of other things. And so, there's, <coughs> excuse me, there's something strange happening in sort of the juxtaposition that I think could be helpful for us today. Because the island that he was on, I've heard some of you say, I looked up this place, Patmos, I think I might like to be exiled there. Like, it's actually pretty nice. Like, there are palm trees and sunshine, and I could get a great tan. But uh, John has been there for so long, he's living in a cave, he's busting rocks in a rock quarry all day, he's got a massive sunburn and blisters all over his hand, and best as I can tell in my mental picture, I'm thinking of Tom Hanks and Castaway. The truth is, we all live in this already not yet exile. We are on a beautiful place already. We live, since moving to Tennessee, there are so many daggum waterfalls within like an hour and a half drive of this place. There is so much beauty just 20 minutes outside headed towards Leaper's Fork or down to Franklin or over to Cookville. There's so much beauty already here. And yet, cars break down and bodies break down and relationships break down and there's this tension and this frustration because we know inside of us, my house should be this beautiful, wonderful place that is always at rest. My relationships should never have anything wrong in them. This body should never decay and yet it does and they do and it does. And so we find ourselves in this frustration between what we know to be, to be true in our guts, I am made for perfection, and yet I am not there. I think there's at least two ways we can deal with this. We can, and both of these happened, if, you're, if you want to, uh, to track along with the castaway reference, both of these things kind of happen to Tom Hanks while he's on the island. When he first gets on the island, he's kind of like, after the initial shock, 
is over. He's like, oh, this place is actually kind of pretty. And so he sets up, you know, his little bamboo hut and gets some palm fronds and kind of has this little oasis moment going on. We can try to turn our Patmos, our exile, into heaven now. And so we get the, we get the job so we can get the money so we can buy the car, so we can have the luxurious uh, meals and all of the ease of life and we can insulate ourselves because we know there is something true and real about I should live like this. And we can insulate ourselves from the poverty and the brokenness in this world by turning a blind eye and instead look to family or politics or work or relationship or whatever that is so that we can apprehend and adhere to our best life now. Or we can just give up on Patmos. And we can say, bump this place. I hate it here. We can just live as this mindless prisoner. This is Tom Hanks towards the end of the movie. He cuts his foot trying to catch a fish. He gets real sad. It rains a lot. He you know, ultimately tries to take his own life because of how awful this place is that used to have so much beauty. And we can't notice the beauty in the sunrise over the Mediterranean. And we can't recognize the conversation uh, between another person in exile just as we are. And it just becomes this cycle of we get up, we make breakfast, we go to work, we get home, we make dinner, we do dishes, we do whatever else we have to do. We've got to brush our teeth twice a day. Then we go to bed. And then we get up and we do it all over again. No joy, no hope, no meaning. And so the angel comes in, and this is, this is my favorite part of the whole uh, passage that we just read, verse 9. Uh, he says, write this down. Like, I, I don't want you to forget because you're going to forget. You're going to either try to pull too much already into the not yet, or you're just going to forget that there's an already, and you're just going to live like this place is the only thing that there is. And he says, write this down. Verse 9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like, you already have the invitation in your mailbox. This, as sure as uh, it is that you are here this morning, so sure can you be about where you will go when you die or when Jesus comes back to be with us. And that surety does not depend on Because every bit of this imagery between husband, uh, groom and bride, husband and wife, is this pursuing image of a bride who continues to forget, to run away, to, to slough off, and a husband who continues to cover and care and love. And how does he do that? How does our husband, uh, our bridegroom, According to even the words of Paul, how does he do that? Husbands, love your wives, like we said earlier, as Christ loved the church and did what? And gave himself up for her, cleansing her by the washing of water in the word. What is he talking about? Jesus gives himself up for his bride, taking all of the exile that we deserve, all the sunburn, 
all the lack of love from the Father, all of the things that we should have on ourselves, he has taken those things for us instead. Every penalty for all of the ways that we have tried to make this world and this creation and this life to fulfill all the longings that we're actually made for the next one. And he has instead lived this perfectly righteous robe of a life, a pure wedding dress of a life. And he has put that wedding dress in our closet and said, put it on. And there's an invitation here to a husband who has done all the heavy lifting, who has done, who's saying, I'm going to come back for you. And in the meantime, I'm going to prepare this beautiful, glorious place. There is not a thing that you and I have to do to work for it. It is only the reception of a good God that we get to enjoy. And we even get some early wedding gifts. As we think about how do we prepare ourselves and make ourselves ready, we get some early wedding gifts as we live in this broken place, secured in the work of Christ for us. He sends us a couple of things that can be helps along the way. First, like I said, patience and purpose. He sends us patience, which, by the way, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Something that the Holy Spirit does inside of us is it settles us to not have to make this world do everything for us right now. We can live in this tension in the already and the not yet. We can feel his love and that be enough to satisfy us while everything around us may be falling apart. Jobs may be lost, health may be going down, relationships in the tubes, house not where you want it, job not where you want it, relationships not where you want them, and yet instead, if only, you can have Jesus, and that can be enough. Secondly, he gives gifts, spiritual gifts by his Spirit's power. Uh, The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We We have these little foretastes that we can bring the new creation into the now. For instance, in your work, uh, any job can have purpose, even what you may consider the most menial task. For instance, the beauty of a well-blocked shelf at Target. Have you ever seen how they get all those Dove shampoo bottles and they're in this perfect line? Glory, right? We're bringing order out of chaos, and that is what the new creation will be. Uh, The best breakfast tacos, speaking of, Nate, the breakfast tacos at Stay Golden, those are going to be there. Uh, Those of you who are involved in law, in community development, in city development, considering the needs of the poor and the marginalized as we also consider the growing nature of our city. All of these things, we're apprehending these things that are going to be true. Truth, justice, beauty, goodness, equity, and we're pulling those things into our now. One other application, and then we're done. Uh, Those of you who are artists, creatives, musicians. Abraham Kuyper, who is a Dutch theologian who loved talking about this stuff, says this. He says, if you confess that the world once was beautiful, but by the curse has become undone, and by a final catastrophe is to pass to its full state of glory, excelling even to the beautiful of paradise, then art, sub in 
music, sub-in, creative uh, endeavors in any way, has the mystical task of reminding us in its productions the beautiful that was lost and anticipating its perfect coming luster. Or as 1 Corinthians 10 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Um, we need to be done. I had a story, but I'll save it for next time. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the reality uh, that you say, write this down, because you know that we are a forgetful people. Uh, you know that we are uh, a shifting people. You know that we are a longing and a hungry people. And I pray that you would meet us in that longing. You would meet us in our need. You would secure us in whatever reason we may think that we should be exempt from heaven. Would you now secure us by your spirit's power, speaking your love into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, crying out, Husband, I love you. Would you do that in such a way uh, that as the trials and tribulations of this world continue to come, that there would be a hope that we can have that is more sure uh, than what we see in front of us. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray in your name, amen.